they answered something like this. They would say, I think most guys fight their battles alone. And that became a real major theme is that people are without battle buddies. They're without prayer partners. They're fighting their battles alone. Welcome to season two of the Gospel Coach Podcast. Our aim in these podcasts is to empower you, the gospel coach, in ongoing ministry of the gospel through coaching others. We'll share examples of our own learned experiences, as well as invite different guest coaches to share what they are utilizing to advance the gospel with their coaches around the globe. I'm your host, Jim Moon Jr., alongside the pioneer of gospel coaching and founder and president of CMM, Dr. Tom Wood. Tom began gospel coaching and creating the cross-conversation model more than 15 years ago and began training other gospel coaches in the USA in 2009, and since then, it's spread from Atlanta to the nations around the globe, not only coaching, but training gospel coach trainers. Be sure to listen to the other amazing conversations and helpful reminders from season one. So now we continue with more important topics for your coaching ministry and cross-pollinating ideas and insights in gospel coaching practices from other regions. Hello, everybody. Good to be back for another episode. Yes, it is. It's good to have with us a guest today, uh, Jim. Uh, We've invited Dr. Don Sampson one of our gospel coaching catalysts. He's here with us today in the recording to talk about this. And I'm assuming um, you're not uh, on the road right now in your military uh, chaplaincy program. So you could be with us. We appreciate that very much. And uh, we're glad you're here. Don, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yes, I'm in between ministry trips and I'm in my home office in Manassas, Virginia. Glad to be here. Yeah, Tom, I didn't know if you know this, but Don's one of the few people who has a longer title than just Reverend Doctor. Uh, he is the Reverend Doctor Colonel Retired Don Sampson. So what does your wife refer to you as at home, though? That's the main thing. Well, she knew me before any of those titles were uh, relevant, so. Okay. And she's not impressed with any of them. But, uh, <laughs> she Usually, she, she's very nice, and uh, we've been married almost 40 years. Wow. So she usually calls me just honey or darling or something like that. So we're, we want to talk today actually about something, uh, a top, a different topic, although it's related to the military uh, ideas uh, and platform. Um, but just to give us a little bit more of a background, you haven't always um, worked with in the military chaplaincy corps, right? You've done other things. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the, dairy, the various callings, kind of your journey? very quickly. Right. I was never a military chaplain myself, although it is my privilege to work with chaplains now. I'm serving part-time with the PRCC. That's the Presbyterian and Reformed Commission on Chaplains and Military Personnel. It's an organization that oversees and provides endorsements for seven different denominations. We've got about 325 chaplains around the world, but uh, I did have some time in the Marine Corps, not as a chaplain, but I was a helicopter pilot. But I had 14 years active duty, Tom, and I really felt a very clear call to become a full-time pastor. So I left active duty, and it was really quite a surprise how I felt that calling, but it just was undeniable. So I went off to Covenant Seminary, 
And we, you know, was married, had two little girls, ages four and six. Off we went uh, to Covenant Seminary, moved into a small apartment on campus. But I stayed in the reserves. I stayed as a Marine Corps officer in the reserves and was able to stay in then for um, 11 more years. So I actually retired with 25 years total service. Anyway, uh, left active duty, went off to seminary, and it was there that I met uh, Philip Douglas, professor there at Covenant Seminary, who has been very involved in church planting over the years, and he encouraged me to go into church planting. So we returned here to Northern Virginia, where my wife is from, and uh, planted a PCA church. Well, that's quite a stellar career, and uh, you were coached during your church planning season, or part. When you, I guess the church was uh, going. And, yeah, uh, we, well, I uh, we planted a daughter church. Okay. Uh, Ron Bossom was a pastor of Harvester Presbyterian up in Springfield, closer to D.C., and um, Harvester had a group of families who was a, were attending that church, but they were living down here closer to um Manassas Woodbridge area. So we planted a daughter church and uh, Ron served uh, as my mentor during my church planting apprenticeship. Uh, Didn't know much about coaching at the time. I remember going through assessment in 2000 before I graduated seminary and soon after that went to some church planting training. And I do remember being encouraged to get a coach, but at that time I really wasn't sure what a coach was and certainly not a gospel coach. And I had a mentor in in Ron Bossom doing my church planning apprenticeship. And then soon after we planted the church, uh, after the church grew, we hired a full-time associate pastor. And uh, he became kind of a mentor because he was 10 years older, uh, much more godly and experienced than I was. So, So I didn't really have a coach, but I didn't know it. You know, I had a mentor for those years and a confidant and someone I could talk to. Um, but it wasn't until sometime later I attended a seminar during the PCA meeting of the General Assembly. And uh, from that was convinced, you know, I really need a gospel coach. So about 10 years ago, arranged uh, with CMM to, to receive coaching. And it's been a great benefit ever since. Jim uh, was my coach for many years. And uh, thankfully, we had one of the elders on our session. He himself is an executive coach. And knew well the benefits of coaching, so he uh, encouraged the session to let us use, uh, you know, church funds for staff training funds to pay for my coaching, and um, it's a big part of my life ever since then. And then some years ago, um, went through the training myself to become a coach. CMM is in the church vitality business. They work in four spheres. One of the spheres is with individuals through gospel coaching. CMM's professional team of coaches are deeply invested in the lives of the leaders they coach. They also partner with missionally aligned national and global networks or church ecosystems by providing gospel coach training that produces both indigenous coaches and gospel coaching trainers. If you have not been gospel coached, you are invited to contact them at cmmnet.org and they can connect you with one of their seasoned veterans. If you are part of a church ecosystem, CMM wants you to know that they can help you prepare both coaches and gospel coach trainers 
so you can raise up the new generation of coaches that are needed to grow healthy reproducing churches in your network, region, or country. Again, you can contact CMM on their website at cmmnet.org. True. Anyway, so you were in the Marines and a and a and warfare and uh, trained to be in warfare, and uh, we're, we so we want to we want to talk to you today about spiritual warfare and the spiritual dynamic um, of gospel coaching. Um, those of you that have gone through the training will know that we say that um, when you're doing your skimmies, if you remember those skills, knowledge, motivations, and E stands for the enemy. We want to know and diagnose uh, what's happening maybe spiritually uh, with, with this. And uh, one of the reasons, not not just because you have a military background and uh, helicopters, but uh, you also did some doctoral work um, in this whole area of spiritual warfare, which is intriguing to me. I have a question for you. How did a reformed guy um, want to study the topic of spiritual warfare? I mean, is that really a reformed kind of topic? Well, I did become interested in it because of my background in the Marines and had studied war fighting. Uh, in fact, when I was a captain, I had an entire school year here at Quantico going through uh, what was then called the Amphibious Warfare School. So, uh, you know, Marines, uh, especially officers, are encouraged to uh, continue professional military education. And we're always learning and growing. And uh, so war fighting was something I had studied. And I wondered if perhaps some things that I had to learn about warfare and war fighting might be applied to the spiritual life because, uh, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that we are in a struggle. So I, um, at the encouragement of one of my professors for one of my classes, did a little research on that and, and wrote a paper on it. And that ultimately led to um, my entire project. I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, TEDS, for my demon, and um, there final project it's called it's not a thesis but a final project involves research and writing usually something related to your particular ministry context so i was interested in it and ended up doing some research on um, the beliefs and understanding of the folks at our church and um, wrote about spiritual warfare uh, from that perspective so do you see uh spiritual uh dynamics at play as your as your for your own spiritual journey for your own church planning experience where do you did you think you encountered um attacks from the enemy well traditionally the church has defined spiritual warfare is our battle with the world the flesh and the devil uh, not just uh, the devil and from our background, as you mentioned, our Reformed background really emphasizes the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And I found in my research that I, I wondered if uh, the folks in our church, and by the way, I limited my research to men in the church, because uh, just I, I felt like since the men in the church, in our tradition, uh, we ordain men as elders and deacons. So that would be the spiritual leadership in the church uh, and future leaders in the church. and. Um, uh, researchers tell you you really need to narrow your focus as much as you can. So I did not uh, get involved with the beliefs of any of our children or uh, just focus on the men in the church. But I found in my research um, using open-ended questions, uh, which of course resonates with us as coaches, the importance of open-ended questions. 
Um, I found that as I asked questions like, um, well, do you believe the devil is real? Uh, that's that's not open-ended. It's more yes or no. But if, even a question like, um, how do you think most men fight their spiritual battles? Really would leave it wide open to answers. Yeah. Yeah. But as I ask about specifically about the beliefs about Satan or the devil, I found that our men would say, oh, yes, of course, I believe Satan is real. It's in the Bible. But they would very quickly add, but God is sovereign. And I found that interesting that, um, you know, people were ready to acknowledge the fact that Satan or devil, the devil is real in life and can pose a real danger and a problem to us. Yet they very quickly wanted to affirm the sovereignty of God and therefore sort of um, assume that the devil, although he's real, is not really relevant. Yeah. But if you think about it in, in terms of uh, fighting a, a warfare or, or battle, um, you can believe you can understand the enemy is real and you can believe very firmly that God is sovereign. But you still protect yourself. You still take measures to fight the enemy and to uh, defend yourself. So I just found it interesting that our folks, although they believed he was real, didn't really see him as relevant because, you know, quote, God is sovereign. So right. um, I, I found that interesting. So you don't want to limit spiritual warfare. You said, uh, you know, obviously in, the, in uh, John, the world, the flesh and the devil, that's what we're fighting. I was coaching a guy one time, a pastor who had been attacked in his church. And he said, I always believed that you know, our enemy was the world, the flesh, and the devil. But I've added a fourth category, the world, the flesh, the devil, and and elders. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, when I started the church, I used to meet with an older uh, pastor who'd been here for many, many years. We met every week for prayer. And um, he once said to me something, you've probably heard this, I've heard it before, but he said, you know, in any criticism, there's always a little bit of truth. So. Um, I've always kept that in mind that uh, it, it was, there's probably at least a little bit of truth in all criticism that came my way. So how do we as coaches, so if we accept the dynamic that there is a, an enemy who's at large and uh, he hates the church, he hates pastors, he hates church leaders, he hates uh, elders of the church, he hates church planters. Um, what? How would we recognize as a coach if there was a spiritual attack, spiritual dynamic going on, an enemy attack going on um what are some of the diagnostic questions or some of the things that you might want to ask um if those things are present in somebody's life while you're coaching them well i don't think it's it's really crucial to to identify if this difficulty we're having is the result of just living in a sinful world or a temptation from the world or if it is the result of something in our sinful nature the flesh or if it is really an attack from Satan, we can take comfort in knowing that, in fact, God is sovereign and Satan is not. I mean, Satan is limited. And I think it was R.C. Sproul, I was listening to one of his lectures once when he was speaking of the reality of Satan and the devil. But he said, you know, it's highly unlikely that Satan himself is visiting you personally because, you know, you're just not that important. <laughs> Frankly, he's, he can only be one place at one time. So. Uh, but there are, you know, we know from Scripture, there are evil spirits, and it's just hard to pin down precisely what's going on when you are facing a difficulty. So for me, you know, I think of the gospel 3D model, where when we do have some distress, um, 
it's not that important to decide if this distress is due to my own fleshly desires or my own sin or, um, you know, the conviction of sin in that regard, or if it's an attack from Satan or from the world. Because regardless, I think, uh, Tom, we need to just lean on those means of grace. And, and therefore, we go in a different direction and we delight in Christ when we use those means of grace of prayer, the word, the sacraments. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the importance of true fellowship, because my research led to, again, some of these open-ended questions when I would say, um, for example, how do, most, how do you think most men in the church fight their spiritual battles? And whenever you ask someone a general question like that, they often will refer to themselves. So that's very insightful. But I would ask, and I recorded, you know, I had all this, this data, uh, these transcripts uh, written out uh, by a professional, you know, transcriber, and then analyzed the data. And it was very interesting. When I asked the question, how do you think most men fight their spiritual battles? The answer that came back was very surprising to me that ended up me leading, I had to go down a completely different path then in my doctoral project. And that was, they answered something like this. They would say, I think most guys fight their battles alone. And that became a real major theme is that people are without battle buddies. They're without prayer partners. They're fighting their battles alone. So that led me to look into the social science research on this, especially among men. We typically do not have close friends. We do not share uh, our difficulties with others, and we're fighting our battles alone. And that's a real problem, I think. So I would encourage, in terms of coaching, I would encourage our coachees to make sure they have a battle buddy, a prayer partner, somebody they can talk to and pray through these difficulties and, and don't focus so much on whether this particular issue is a direct attack from Satan or from elsewhere. Jim, we've uh, we've been talking in the, around the office uh, recently about yeah. uh, conversations um, that you you've had several of them mm-hmm. in yeah. this whole arena. Yeah, and in, in the the end of the month, end of last month, we had um, in two weeks' time fifteen pastors, some of whom I coach regularly, some of whom I've coached in the past, and some of whom I'm just friends with call up and say, wow, I, I just need to talk to somebody. I, I can't think clearly. Uh, everything seems really intense, but it's all very vague. And this had a really hard time interpreting the criticism, like you mentioned, Don. Um, so I just, I'm curious, Tom and Don, how, what are ways that we as gospel coaches can recognize uh, when an attack is happening from the enemy and how that's different from when something's going on in our motivations. I think it's really difficult to discern, but I think one important point to make to those we are coaching is that life is a struggle. I mean, biblically, there are several words used throughout the New Testament to describe a battle, a struggle, a confrontation. And um, this is not only prior to the cross. I mean, I, Sometimes people might think, well, you know, sure, the Satan is real, but um, Jesus triumphed over the grave. He's seated at God's right hand right now, presiding over his creation, and God is sovereign and all the rest of that. Well, look, 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 scripture, even, even the epistles. I mean, long after Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, still you see the Apostle Paul writing about this struggle. 
toward the end of his life. I mean, we know in, in First and Second Timothy, he wrote, uh, fight the good fight of faith. I mean, that implies a struggle. It's a fight. In Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. So we are all in a battle all the time. And I think uh, we need to recognize that. And when you, when you relate this to war fighting, imagine if you're in combat and you just don't even acknowledge the enemy. You don't even believe there's an enemy out there. That's a problem. So we do have to believe that, that the enemy is real and um, not to be paranoid about that, but to be aware of it and fight the good fight with those means of grace. Right. Right. Yeah. We have, um, I mean, he's a real enemy. And I think that, you know, if you, as you mentioned, you know, the world does attack us. We get, uh, drawn into the world's allurements, but in our own hearts deceive us. And I mean, we're constantly fighting our own source idols in us. Um, but the, the, yeah, it, it, I'm not a, I'm not big enough to have Satan come after me, but he's got a lot of minions and, um, that are, you know, Wormwood, you know, the old C.S. Lewis, you know, wonderful little book. Um, and, uh, although he can't read my thoughts and he, the evil one can't, um, he, he does hear our words. He does hear our, the words that come out of our mouth and he knows when to attack and how to attack. I've seen over the years, you know, it seems like many times when a guy's planting a church, somewhere in that first very vulnerable stage early on, or as the church is just getting birthed or during that season, there's there's almost always some physical attack, and it's typically towards the wife or towards the children, and it comes in some physical manifestation, an unhealth, an accident, something happens. Did Satan cause that? I don't, I don't know that we need to go there, but he's using that He's using that harm, he's using that wound at that time to rush in and bring in all sorts of doubt and fear and anxiety and... Um, and uh, that that's how I see him at play, you know, in these people's lives. And so I think that when somebody's uh, struggling, they're having doubts, they're having, uh, you were saying, you know, it's really intense. It just seems to be all these attacks are coming on me at once. Um, they need to be aware that not just the frailty of their own flesh and uh, the, the fact that they might um, go back and rely on their idolatry to find something to bring them comfort in their life because it's really intense. But they also need to be aware that the enemy is also very uh, alert to the fact that you're in a weakened position. And I love the idea, Don, that um, you know those are the seasons in which we tend to isolate ourselves even more rather than... And here's the power of a coaching relationship. And I think these men that Jim mentioned, many of them you know, were calling their coach or their ex-coach Sometimes you were saying, Jim, you're getting yeah. calls from guys you hadn't, you hadn't heard from in a while. Yeah, for um, sure. And that's reaching out and finding that community, that sense of community. So I like that. I like that word of instruction. Yeah, and Jim, I thought it was interesting. You said that the men, you know, when they called, they said, I just need to talk to somebody. That is so important. Um, yeah. I did, besides my, my research, my qualitative research that I conducted and did the open-ended questioning, I did uh, have a survey that went out to all the men in the church, and um, it was really kind of scary, the level of isolation that they 
we're experiencing. And, and our church, I, I think we're typical in that. We did have, we've got small groups going on. We've got even at the time, we even had some men's discipleship groups. Um, we always encourage, you know, folks to get together and pray for each other. And I try to set the example and that I've had an accountability partner for many, many years. And everyone, I think, pretty much knew that. But some of these questions, um, I made a few notes. I pulled up um, the results of this survey. And what I did was I asked uh, men, just confidentially, to rate uh, zero to four the level of disclosure that they would typically give to at least one other person in a variety of topics. Um, So you would ask about, let's say, you know, politics or current events, uh, difficulties in marriage, um, you know, a variety of things. And a zero to four, zero meaning they never disclose anything. Uh, One would be disclose almost nothing. Two, disclose in general. Three, disclose most details. And number four would be disclose almost all there is to know about me. So you would hope that some of these questions, at least, people would choose three or four, that they would have at least one person in their life where they could disclose most details or almost all there is to know about me about this particular topic. And it was just really surprising, even good things. And one of the questions was uh, achievements or encouraging circumstances in my life. 75% put a one or a two. Um, You know, even good things. They just don't have a a close friend to talk about. Strains in my marriage. Everybody's got challenges in marriage, right? Well, only one third of the men chose a three or a four. That is disclosing most details or almost there is to know, almost all there is to know about me. Only one third. Um, now other things, things like, here's a question, updates on my hobbies, a book I'm reading or a movie I recently saw. Well, over half the guys said, oh, sure. Three or four on that. Um, on the other end of the scale, uh, the topic of pornography got the lowest rating, but interestingly, the question was designed not only to ask about pornography, but even your successes in battling against it or avoiding it. The question was, Struggles with or successes fighting against pornography. Some guys didn't answer it at all. They skipped it. But those who did answer, 60% put a zero or a one. So they're just not talking about these things. And perhaps most most uh, concerning to me was just prayer requests, prayer partners. Um, ongoing prayer requests, about half and half. Half put three or four. Half put zero, one, or two for that one. So I think it's it's indicative or instructive when those men called you and said, I just need someone to talk to. That is so common. We all need someone to talk to and to and to pray for us. So I would encourage everyone out there to find a battle buddy. Just find one or two men in your life that you can covenant with to maintain confidentiality and just be able to talk to each other and pray for each other, whether it's a struggle with the world, the flesh or the devil. That's really good, Don. That's a good. Uh, it's a good place for us to to recognize that all of us need to be talking to someone. There is, in some ways, an epidemic of loneliness, especially among men. That's not just something you found in your research, but that we see all across the board. And for those that are gospel coaches, recognize the importance of that relationship that you have with the people that you're coaching. That you are a confidential person. That a pastor or a Christian leader can completely confide in. Really good, really interesting today, Don. Thank you for making the time to be with us. And thank you, as Don. always, Dr. Tom, it's good to have you. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks again, Don. Appreciate it. Colonel. 
Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question or a comment or a story to share, send us a note via gospelcoachnetwork at gmail.com.